This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is taking the week off. She will be back on Monday. Great to have you here with me. So is Vision Zero actually starting to work? This is the question being asked at the end of 2022, as this year saw the lowest traffic deaths in more than 10 years, with the exception of 2020, when we were all locked down during the pandemic. But the numbers are nothing to celebrate, with 50 people having died on Toronto streets this year, including 22 pedestrians and one cyclist. But when Vision Zero was launched in 2016, there were 78 traffic deaths that year, including 44 pedestrians and one cyclist. And now it's time to tune into the town. Let's bring in our tune into the town panelists to discuss. David Crombie is a former Toronto mayor. Anna Bailau is a former Toronto city councillor and former deputy mayor. And we are waiting to get James Pasternak on the line. He is a current city councillor for Ward 6 York Centre. Anna and David, hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Well, I'll begin with you, Anna, since uh, you are the most uh, recent participant at City Hall uh, in terms of who we have on the line so far. How much of an impact have the Vision Zero measures had on bringing down the numbers? I think it's clear that it has uh, some impact. I think that uh, there's been a variety of actions that have been taken from red light cameras to street designs to lowering of speeds. So it, it's uh, it's many initiatives that make up uh, the Vision Zero. And uh, uh, like you said, it's it's it, it's not there yet. Of course, one one death is one too many. But I think it's definitely heading in the right direction. Um, you know, we, we, we live in a busy city. Uh, we have cars, we have trucks, we have cyclists, we have pedestrians. And it's this mentality that uh, many years ago, uh, when I started in council, was like, oh, there's a war on car. And it has to stop. We need to find ways for people to, to walk, for people to cycle, for people to drive in a safe way. Because not everybody can be in a car. Not everybody can be on a bike. Not everybody can walk the long distances. So we have to give options to people. And uh, if you want those options to be viable options, they have to be safe. And that's the goal of Vision Zero is to make it safe for pedestrians, which are the most vulnerable people out there, right? When you're in a car, you have a lot of protection. When you're walking, you know, and if you're hit uh, by a car, um, obviously the impact is going to be uh, totally different. And and it, 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 it's just good planning as well for the city, right? When you have more pedestrians, it makes it safer, more enjoyable, better for small business. So it has a lot of positives. So the city has spent uh, since 2016 nearly $270 million in the program, including $64 million in this year alone. Uh, Are you in a position where you can recap some of the initiatives uh, that have been part of the program to try to make the streets safer, Anna? Uh, well, we've spent absolutely a lot of that money. But, for example, I know that uh, just on the speed cameras that we've been able to put on our, on our streets, it's been millions and millions of dollars as well that we've collected. Uh, obviously, the goal is not to collect that money. The goal is for people to not to speed. But uh, a lot of, of, of money has been recuperated with tickets through red light cameras and speed cameras and so on. So there's been uh, uh, those initiatives that bring in um, money and there's other in- initiatives like street redesigns to make you know crossings on 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 intersections more pedestrian friendly to make sure that everybody has good visibility that cars and pedestrians and cyclists have good visibility. There was a lot of those redesigns and some, sometimes difficult conversations because sometimes you know change in neighborhoods are sometimes difficult and so these are. Uh, often very controversial in certain neighborhoods. I can tell you that I had a few of those difficult conversations to change some of these intersections 
uh, in my in the own neighborhood that I that I used to represent. And um, and and but I think that ultimately people will see the benefit uh, when numbers like this start coming through, and they see that this has been a real good investment and and a real good and different way of designing our city. You know, uh, many many parts of our city were very car oriented, um, and I think there's a big um, move to make sure that every uh, road user, being pedestrian or car or cyclist. Um, can can do it safely and comfortably. And we will talk more about how uh, some of these roads, and particularly in Scarborough, uh, need to be calmed in order for people to be able to cross safely and have points at which they can cross uh, that are much closer together than what has been. Yeah. The distance is very, very important. The distance and the visibility, sometimes the way that, that the curves, the angles that they have, uh, it's very important. So those are some of the initiatives that Vision Zero does. It includes things like just lowering the speed of the street, but in many times it's the street redesign. It's having wider sidewalks. It's having shorter intersections for the pedestrians to cross. It's having making sure that there's good visibility. So these are really important things that make it a lot safer. David, as a former mayor of Toronto and now an outsider looking in, what is your impression of Toronto's Vision Zero strategy? Well, I think Anna's replaced it well. Um, we very often, are obviously, are critical of the of the council when it does not do the right thing. But in this one, it's a, the program design, I guess, now five, six years ago, was it worked out to be just a terrific design. It does cost money, but it's very, very complicated. And so I think there's congratulations in order for those who've actually done the work on the council at City Hall and those in the council who supported it. We're talking about um, a myriad of initiatives ranging from automated speed enforcement cameras, separated bike lanes, more than 1,000 new advanced walk signals for pedestrians. The program has also allowed the city to implement a host of so-called traffic calming initiatives like speed bumps, raised crosswalks, and in-road signage warning drivers to slow down. I mean, it just stands to reason, Anna, that this will have a positive effect on keeping people alive should they even get hit by a vehicle. It, it, and and some, some of these things are such small changes. So, for example, the advanced uh, uh, timing for pedestrians. You know, the amount of pedestrians that would start uh, crossing at the same time that somebody's making a right turn and the driver would not see them. So just by giving a few seconds so that pedestrian has the opportunity to initiate that crossing, and so it, it becomes much more visible to the to, to the the driver. That that change alone, it has had a huge impact. Pedestrians feel safer; it's more visible. So these are all you know. There's there's the, the bigger actions, but there's actions that you know by changing those timers alone, you have a bigger uh, uh, such a great uh, impact on mm-hmm. on on the safety in our city. So um, it's uh, I, I agree with with David. I think. I think um, it, it was. It's not cheap, but I think it's a good, good investment that the city made. Well, um, and you make and a good point. Off. You made a good point, Anna, that it's maybe not a wash, but we are uh, gaining money for the city coffers um, with uh, red light cameras and other speed speed enforcement measures. So it's not on paper. I guess it's two hundred seventy million, but it, it's probably far less than that, as you point out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, I do want to go to the phones. And by the way, we are still trying to get a city councillor, James Pasternak, on the line. A little bit of a a technical issue going on in the background here, but our team is working on it. Uh, We do have CETA in Mississauga on the line. Hi, CETA. What are your thoughts about road safety? Hi, everyone. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. in the city are doing a great job for road safety, but people cannot depend on others for their own safety, especially in the winter. So why don't they, people start wearing more brighter colors instead of dark clothing? It is so difficult to see people. And winter coats, why don't they improve by stitching reflectors or something into their sleeves? Well, those are good points, too, and that's, uh, you know, the way we were brought up, David. Our our mothers made sure we had clothes that if we were outside at night on a bike or walking that we had even reflectors attached to us. Uh, and And there does seem to be... 
there does seem to be a, a call for pedestrians to take on more responsibility. Uh, what do you think about that? No, I think that is right. Uh, there, there's no doubt that, that uh, pedestrians have a responsibility to look after their own safety and the safety of others. And, and one of the oldest things I can remember is making sure that I had a bright color when I was delivering my papers in the morning. It was dark and all of that. So I think there, there, you have to remind ourselves that it's not only the government that needs to provide the service, but people have to help out as well to go along. And our phone lines are open if you would like to weigh in, if you're especially a City of Toronto resident and you've noticed a positive change with all of these traffic calming initiatives. If you've been downtown, you've probably seen the crosswalks that go not just across the streets, but diagonally as well to make uh, it more efficient for pedestrians. What are your thoughts? Are we on the right track? What uh, During the pandemic, the Danforth, the way it was set up, for more access for cyclists uh, in addition to uh, drivers, as well as we had uh, the cafe TO situation. So we had uh, the cafes on the roads as well, trying to get everybody uh, working together during the pandemic. Numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Joy and Markham, what would you like to add? Hi there. Good afternoon. Um, my concern is um, cell phone users crossing the streets, and they are not um, checking their surroundings. And, uh, you know, they're looking down into their phones. And, you know, sometimes, you know, one has to honk their horn just to get their attention. So it takes both drivers and pedestrians. We have to look out for each other. It so. is that concept of sharing the roads, absolutely. Craig in Etobicoke, go ahead. You're on Fight Back. Hey, Jane, great show. I just wanted to say uh, the point that was brought up about, you know, pedestrians have to take responsibility. I really appreciate that as an instructor. Uh, I think drivers are demonized too much, and uh, I'm glad that point was brought up because if you got good pedestrians and good drivers, you get good. If you have bad pedestrians and bad drivers, you get bad. So I appreciate the fact that you said pedestrians have to take responsibility. That's great. Okay, John, thank you. Um, some road safety advocates, Anna, and I'll put this to you first, um, speaking specifically about friends and families for safe streets, uh, they say that this all boils down to political will, and that's what has been implemented on the Danforth, which I just described, and is planned for young between Carlton and Queen could be applied to roads like Lawrence or St. Clair or Midland, uh, especially in Scarborough? Um, it, it, it's a balancing act, right? It's, uh, it's not, it's what I was saying, it, we can't have one versus the other. And um, these things have to be done appropriately and, and with the communities uh, coming together. I had uh, the Bloor bike lanes installed in the area that I that I represent. And, you know, we, we brought people together. We brought the business, you know, Change is, is, is not easy, um, and, and the work needs to be done in order to accommodate the different things that there is, you know, unloading and loadings and all that stuff. So it takes some time. Uh, it takes some time. I think that, you know, we have a, a cycling plan uh, that has um, many more kilometers of so- cycling routes to be installed in the city. Um, do we want it to happen faster? I mean, we all want things to happen faster, right? And, uh, and, and I think that, uh, this, the safety on the streets, that there are things that could definitely, um, always happen a bit, a bit quicker, um, especially some of the designs on the streets and, and the, the, the crossings for the pedestrians. But in terms of some of the, the bike lanes, there is a cycling plan that is being rolled out. We've had the most uh, amount of cycling infrastructure installed over the last few years. So um, it is political will, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is budget will as well, because we all need the money to do that and the other thousand things that we need in the city as well. So it's always a balancing act. And uh, and I think that the role of council and the mayor is to balancing the very different priorities that exist in the city. Uh, but I think this is a program that has had significant investment. It's starting to show results. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing was to end this idea that the city had a, a, a 
uh, a war against somebody. It's not a war against anybody. It's actually the safety of everybody that uh, and, and the movement of everybody. That, that all these programs are trying to bring together. That's former Councillor Anna Bailao, former uh, Deputy Mayor as well, and David Crombie is with us, a former Mayor of Toronto. Would you like to add anything to that, David, and then we'll get back to our callers? No, I think you have to take what Anna just said and put it in the perspective that in the last, oh, I guess, 10 to 15, a dozen years, there's been a transformation of the uses on the street. It was fairly simple before for many years. But now the number of vehicular uh, expressions, one kind or another, uh, scooters to motorized scooters to bikes and so on, all of that has really made uh, it necessary to change the rules. And Anna's point about it takes time, these things take time because they need to be monitored, make sure you're doing the right thing. And then when you're teaching and learning, changing people's habits, that takes time. John in Toronto, you're up next on Fight Back. What would you like to add? Hi there. Hi, John. Go ahead. You're on the air. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Uh, with all the discussion about the uh, the different parts of this initiative, whether it be the bike lanes or the, the advanced crosswalks or even the potential of adding crosswalks mid-block to help pedestrians, uh, I haven't heard anything about education. Uh, educating people in the city, educating people coming from out of town. I know that I've, people come from out of town who have been very confused. They obviously are coming in and driving, coming in for a weekend, staying at a hotel, going to see some shows or some sporting events, and they get very confused by things like what happened on King Street. Um, as much as that initiative has been helpful for a lot of things, there's an education component. I also have two children in school, and throughout their in high school, but even when they're in public school, they would go on school trips, and the teachers wouldn't talk to them about how to use the transit. They mm. take, it and the teachers wouldn't be. It wasn't part of the, the education program, uh, right? And I think I think educating not only our children through the school system, but the other people in the city, the other residents of the city, and people coming in, um, how to use these new tools, how to use this new infrastructure, and how to get the most out of it. Uh, is really important, and I find that lacking in this initiative. Okay, John, thank you. Um, I'll put that over to Anna Bailau. Is is that a fair criticism? Are, are Toronto, is City of Toronto staff responsible for educating people coming in from outside our city? Um, I mean, there's always campaigns that could be done. It's pretty hard to educate people that are not here on on a regular basis, other than you know as they're coming in having signage, and 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 that is that is somewhat being done. In terms of uh, education campaigns to uh, people in the city, I know that there's partnerships with uh, organizations such as, for example, Cycling Toronto, that city staff is working to do education campaigns um, and and also pedestrian groups as well. Uh, so the, the, that it is part of, of the conversation. Um, could we have more? Um, you know, if people are feeling, if John that called is feeling that that there's not enough education out there, maybe it is something that the city should listen to and, and, and just see what kind of programs are out there and right. and, um, and uh, amplify uh, the message uh, a bit more as well. Interesting perspective. Okay, we'll take one more call and then we will switch topics for our tune into the town panel. Rocco is calling from Niagara Falls. Go ahead. Good morning, Jane. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Go ahead. What What would uh, you like to add? Just a comment. Just a comment on the uh, advanced walk signal that they implemented in Toronto. I live in Toronto, and uh, I've noticed it. And unfortunately, I don't think it goes far enough because our laws permit us to make a right turn on a red. And I think they should change that to uh, ah. like European Montreal. Yes. They cannot make a right turn on red, and that will accentuate that. Boxing, for sure. Okay, Rocco. Yeah, thank you. I want to get David's take on that. Um, enjoy your day in Niagara Falls. Thank you. Yeah, so David, this is a conversation that has been coming up for decades because in Montreal, you cannot turn right on a red. Yes, uh, and, and I, 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 know, I know the debate. I've been involved in the debate. I came out of the debate over many years ago with saying it makes sense not on all occasions, but on many occasions, to be able to make a right turn on a red. Because um, I, I, I think it keeps the, the traffic flowing in a way that, uh, that, that is helpful. So I'm with those who are saying 
right on the red. Not everywhere. There are lots of other conditions that prevail, but you wouldn't want to do that. But I'm not against it in principle. Right, because you can make it you can make it intersection specific as well if you want to put up a note. Yeah, yeah. And Jamie, if I could add, that is something that Vision Zero did. If mm-hmm. you probably many people that are that walk around or drive around the city notice a lot more intersections with no right turn on red, because that is that is something that uh, Vision Zero Group also looks at. Right, because in those situations, I've noticed that if you were to turn right on the red, you may not have the proper vantage point of the traffic that's coming from the left. Exactly. Yes. Okay, well, we will wrap up our Vision Zero uh, conversation and switch over to uh, talking about John Tory and looking ahead to next year, whether it's here in the City of Toronto or in some of the other GTA municipalities. I just want to ask you both, it's been just over two months since the municipal elections were held across the province. How much of an impact, uh, Anna, I'll begin with you, has John Tory made, do you think, on improving the basics since he was elected? Um, well, I think the first thing he did was his appointment. So he um, he brought in some uh, of the new councillors into executive, uh, into uh, you know the key committees. Uh, so I think that was that was good. I think that's a good thing. He's, he's bringing council back again. That's one of his strengths. It's bringing that council together. So I think that he he did that with his appointment. Had a difficult month because of that that strong mayor. Uh, power thing. I think that is, is now been settled. And he had a big, big victory on the housing um, uh, uh, bill that he put forward, which was a comprehensive set of uh, requests and some uh, approvals right away, like uh, rooming houses that he put forward and that it was overwhelming um, uh, supported by council. And, and that was very good. He did say that housing was going to be uh, one of his key uh, focus, uh, and so that is that is important. So, I think that uh, that jumping into that, the appointment of the new city manager, that was important too, and he got that done. So, um, I think he's getting his uh, ducks in a row to you know tackle the budget, which is not going to be a an easy one. But I think he's uh, he wanted to get these things out of the way so that he can now focus on the budget, and he's really really hinting that he's going to have. Um, a push towards having a conversation with the province and the feds about, you know, the the financial structural issues of the city, which is long, long, long overdue. Okay, and David, um, are you seeing any improvements? Uh, when John Tory joined Libby, I think it was the day before the election, and he was also here for the big CARP debate, he acknowledged that uh, the basics had been slipping, potholes and overflowing trash bins and washrooms that aren't working in parks, etc. Has there been enough time to be able to notice a positive difference? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. One, let me let me just underline what uh, Anne had to say about uh, the housing. Um, it's a really good housing approach. He's got the ball rolling. There's much, much work to be done. But he, he had a strong support from council, and that takes work. Secondly, uh, in, in terms of the street furniture and the kind of down-at-the-heels look that people have a, a sense of in the city, uh, He's re- I think I've noticed as I do a lot of walking, I've noticed that there are improvements and, and, and they're getting back at it. I think he took it to heart. Uh, I wish I heard more from the mayor uh, on on the uh, the province's destruction of the green belt. I'd like to hear more from the mayor on the province's hollowing out, how, uh, hollowing out of the conservation authority. These are important matters for the city. And, and it's not just uh, maybe he spoke about it. I have not heard a heck of a lot. Uh, and certainly I think uh, unfortunately, he stumbled very badly on deep-sixing the idea that majority rules on council. Right. And, and Anna, you mentioned that you think maybe the strong mayor power issue has been put to bed. David, what do you think about that? Well, I think there are there there two parts to it, in, in my judgment. There are things that have got to do with the mayor being able to do certain things on his, his or her own. Uh, and, uh, and and the council that needs or doesn't need to support it. There are ver- variations on that. I don't have any difficulty with the general approach of giving some strength to the mayor. I have a great difficulty with the assumption that somehow you can pass bylaws 
with a minority of counsel. Mm-hmm. And we've had that discussion here on this very panel as well, that, uh, you know, it might even mark the beginning of the end of democracy at Toronto City Council, Anna. Is that uh, going too far? Um, I, I, I think this was an attempt to do something in a very messy way. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I think that... Um, there's a lot of other municipalities that, um, for example, I know that in London, England, the, the mayor has the authority uh, on, on certain planning issues that are of city significance to um, uh, basically remove that from, from council and have the power to move on certain, certain on these issues. And I think that was the intent where the province wanted to go, but um, I think this was not done with consultation, with openness, with clear conversations and that was the result of this so um i mean if there is going to be a review now is up in the air or not but i i think that's the problem with these things that have been happening with governance issues i think we all agree that governance for the largest city of toronto needs to be looked at we all agree that the mayor needs more powers we all definitely agree that the the financial tools of the situation need to be looked at that there's a deep conversation that needs to happen about uh the relationship and how we govern this city and how we can be a competitive fourth largest city in north america but it's being done at piecemeal and in a very uh obscure your way without proper conversations with Torontonians, with council, and and in an in an open forum. And, and don't you and, and don't you think concern. Anna, don't you think as well in an autonomous way as well, Toronto City Council yeah. needs to govern itself. There's just been it seems like there is just too much uh, of the hands of the PC government in Toronto City Council. Yep. And and I mean and and BC government and every government, right? I mean, we had the Toronto Act done with uh, the previous government, and I think many people would agree that, you know, it's time to to review that again, but to do it in an open way, in a transparent way, and with council and the mayor and Torontonians at the table, not just being dropped these things at the last minute. Right. Final thought to you, David, uh, before we end our segment. No, I, I, I agree with that. I, I want to emphasize, however, there's a big, big difference between powers that the mayor may have in relation to the council that gives some sense of coherence and direction and all of that. But it's vastly different when you knock out the idea of majority government. And so that was a very bad idea, is a very bad idea, and badly hand- and badly put forward. And he has not backed down. He has not changed it. And he should. We will be having this conversation again for sure uh, as the evolution of this all moves forward in 2023. For now, though, I wish you both a very happy new year, and I look forward to speaking with you next time. Happy New Year to you, too, James, and all the listeners. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. David Crombie is a former Toronto mayor, Anna Bailau is a former Toronto City Councillor and former Deputy Mayor of Toronto. And apologies to James Pasternak, current City Councillor for Ward 6 York Centre, for not being able to get you on there. Uh, We are sorting out technical problems in the background. It is Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And coming up next, our friend Ellen Roseman joins us with the top consumer trends of 2022. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back on Monday. I've been looking forward to this segment on consumer trends for 2022. What were we buying this past year and why? What did we pull back on buying and why? What was in demand and what outside influences affected our buying? Ellen Roseman is a consumer advocate and journalist and an occasional guest here on Fight Back, and she joins us with the big stories of the year. Hi there, Ellen. Hi, Jane. It's nice to be here again. Well, thank you. It's always nice to have you. Where do you want to start? And then I'll follow your lead. Well, I thought I'd start with uh, the airlines and the airports, since many uh, Canadians and Americans, too, it's not uh, 
exclusive to us in Canada, but we've all been battered by weather and uh, problems with delays and cancellations and lost baggage, which seems to be a huge issue, judging by the news every night where you just see piles of bags sitting around and then getting stored in some place that nobody even knows where they are. Um, so people are starting to think, what's going on here? Well, it's definitely the return to travel, especially at uh, the holiday time where many people haven't seen their, their family uh, outside the city for many uh, years during the COVID uh, epidemic. And it's also the fact that airlines are deluged. They're not that efficient. They probably have had trouble calling up staff because a lot of staff were laid off for two years during the pandemic and didn't want to come back, kind of like the healthcare system. And... Uh, in Canada, we have something new called the Airline Passenger Protection Regulations, which came in under the Liberal government, were widely touted as a, you know, a, a solution to many of the problems we're having. But as we're now finding out, they're not that strong. The airlines themselves were involved in dictating a lot of the rules and making it hard for people to get their money back. You know, we waited a couple of years for the airlines just to give refunds for flights canceled because of COVID at the beginning of it all. And once that was done, now they're uh, making it difficult to get refunds for uh, flights that are delayed or canceled. And they're saying things like, well, you know, it was the weather. The weather is an exemption, so they don't have to give you a refund if the weather causes a cancellation. But they're often blaming it also on um, uh, other things, uh, like, you know, not having enough staff, which for most people, you would think that's their problem, not uh, the customer's problem. Right. If they can't staff it properly, they, they, they should be paying us the refunds. And too much is left in the airline's hands to tell the customer what went wrong and it should be simpler than that and there's no real enforcement there is the canadian transportation agency which got a lot of money to staff up and and do more enforcement of the rules but it turns out they are backlogged like crazy they haven't issued any fines against any airlines at all in the two years or so since the airline um, new airline rules were passed and they're very ineffective so we're all looking for changes and hoping that the government will shape up because Yes, definitely there's much more traffic than there was before, and it's harder for companies to cope. But on the other hand, um, they should have been expecting it, and they should at least have learned something from the previous you know, months where they've looked like pretty bad actors. And I suspect that tourism to Canada might be falling as well. Interesting. Yes, there, there needs to be recourse, right? I mean, you're, you're able to return something to a retail outlet uh, that is damaged or, you know, was not what you ultimately thought you were paying for. So why isn't the same applied to the airline industry, the tourism industry? We had a story on this morning, Ellen, uh, exactly what you're talking about there with the Canadian Transportation Agency and how they are backed up for 18 months with with um, complaints and people looking for some sort of recourse. And one individual, and maybe there have been others, went to small claims court and got an out-of-court settlement with an airline long before he ever heard from the CTA. That's better, for sure. Right. Uh, for many people, this the amount that they put on, out for airline tickets, especially if they're doing some kind of a family event where they're covering the cost of family members, can be, you know, five figures. And to wait 18 months for that without any interest usually uh, returned to them for the amount of time that they've they've been waiting. That's that's not fair either. So how can the shopper, the consumer of airline flights and vacation packages, how can they fight back against this? Well, I guess the tried and true rule is to keep uh, all your receipts, all your communication, keep paper records of everything so you've got something to uh, show. When it comes to baggage, you can buy special insurance for your baggage. And uh, I know that many people uh, do put the, the, the important stuff on their carry-ons, and it's much uh, less likely to lose your carry-on baggage. But, um, you know, if you have a lot of clothing in your bags and they cost money, uh, keep records of that, how much you paid for it, how much it's worth, so you remember. Maybe take photos of everything in your luggage before you close it so you know what was in it if it disappears. And um, in general, try, if you can, to pack your luggage. And you can find online some great videos. You know, that Marie Kondo thing where you, instead of folding things, you wrap them into little cylinders. Right. Uh, so you can fit a lot more into your carry-on. And maybe you don't even need to check your baggage because that definitely is uh, 
kind of a hazardous procedure these days. Let's move on uh, and talk about uh, the overriding outside influence of inflation on so much of what we purchased this year and how it just uh, it peaked in June. It has gone down a little bit, uh, but it is still at a 40 year high. Yes. And definitely the biggest culprits are gasoline and groceries. And luckily for us, uh, gasoline peaked at about $2 a litre in Toronto, and now it's down. It got as low as $1.30 recently. Now it seems to be $1.45, so it's very volatile still. But it isn't quite as difficult, and some people now are paying for it through points because they can use some of those grocery points for gasoline and that kind of thing. Groceries affect everyone because we're all buying our groceries, and it is much more expensive. And not on everything, though. Um, you can still find a lot of half-price stuff, uh, which we tend to look at the fruits and vegetables and uh, breads and bakery uh, uh, things that are put on at half price because the, uh, they're nearing their expiry date. And I've seen a number of articles lately telling us that if the best before date has passed, it does not mean that you have to throw something out. It just means that it might be somewhat less fresh or desirable than it was before, but it's not going to hurt you. You're probably not going to go to the hospital if you eat it. And you can tell quite quickly with your eyes and your nose whether or not something is stale or not worth eating. But uh, you can certainly get bargains that way if you shop around, use the flyers. All the reports I see are that Canadians are being much more careful with their spending. And uh, some items like bananas, Fresh bananas seem to be always pretty pretty reasonably priced. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, fresh vegetables, if you or frozen vegetables too, you can make soup. Soup is one of the easiest things to make. You throw it all in with a bunch of water and then puree it up, and uh, you know you can really uh, get a, a number of meals out of it. Um, we just had potato pancakes for Hanukkah, and I realized how inexpensive that is. Right. You know, potatoes are still cheap, and all you do is put in some eggs and some flour, and off you go. So um, uh, a big debate in Canada about whether or not the grocers are earning too much profit and whether they're using sh- uh, greedflation to enrich their shareholders. Uh, the other word that is very popular is shrinkflation, which is more the manufacturers of packaged products, uh, giving you less inside the package, but keeping the package size the same, in some cases even making the package size larger to make you think that you're getting more, but it's just air and smaller bags inside and things like that. So, Ellen, so let me ask be you... careful and spread the word to your friends not to buy certain things. Right. Uh, now, in terms of looking back on the year and the, the powerful uh, impact that inflation had on our budgets, um, is it fair to say that because of inflation and having to buy the basics, that consumers stopped buying some of uh, the items, the less necessary items, let's say? Yeah, I would think so, especially some of those uh, more prestige items uh, that uh, sell for, you know, uh, uh, $25 for a piece of salmon on a a plank, which is something that Loblaws had uh, featured for a long time. You know, uh, I think for many people, we could just uh, try to find some cookbooks, which we can even find in the library, of making low-cost meals and making your money stretch. Um, The thing that's also inflated, of course, are interest rates. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of interest rate increases over the past little while because the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve in the U.S. want to stomp out inflation if they can by raising interest rates and making it hard for uh, uh, people to borrow. Um, And uh, it's had an effect on mortgage borrowers for sure though not that many of them, those with five-year fixed-rate mortgages, uh, it's only been a year or so since this has been happening, so they still have to wait until they get up to their renewal. But those with floating-rate mortgages, they've been harder hit. There was, in 2022, four percentage point of increases, uh, just to keep up with the Bank of Canada raising the rates. And um, this is from a mortgage broker. He said, in just 10 months of 2022, the floating rate borrower uh, was paying $14,000 a year extra because the average uh, uh, new mortgage was $358,000. Uh, uh, right. Uh, and that, uh, with the uh, their new adjusted rate payment, 
they'd be paying $754 a month more. And that's quite a lot because surveys have shown that when you ask people what their their leftover income is after paying all their expenses is somewhere in the neighbourhood of $650. So more people will be in the red as a result. And as a result of the higher interest rates and higher inflation, uh, what was happening this past year in housing and the demand for housing and rental housing and the the price of rents in addition to the higher prices for mortgages? Yes, it's been quite astonishing because... um, we have had a uh, much more uh, uh, decline in housing prices than we've had in many, many years. In fact, I've got some stuff here. The average price of a house is down 25 per- 20%, 20% since February, and that's the steepest decline on record. And it was the first time in, in, uh, the, in a while that that has happened. Uh, and uh, the decline in listings as well. Many people were just not putting their houses on the market. And luckily for some people who are still buying those uh, uh, bidding wars where people would pay well, well above what they planned to pay, they're not really as frequent as they were before. And uh, rentals, on the other hand, are getting much more in demand, especially with a lot of newcomers to Canada. And the rental market is going up very quickly, and uh, the Toronto Star had a big front-page story about how the average rental in Toronto was $2,400, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So um, we're trying to figure out how to create more rentals and to build them more quickly, and none of this is easy and takes a lot of time. But in general, um, the cost of owning a house is now exceeding the cost of renting uh, for new buyers, and they're saying that some of the condo uh, buyers who were investors hoping to make money by renting out the unit, they're now uh, renting themselves as opposed to buying because the, the economics have changed. Yeah, so we'll see what happens in the next little while, but it looks like it could be another year of uh, very more much of unrest in the real estate market and much more of a buyer's market and less of a seller's market, right. which we had before. Now, as always, our time together is running out quickly, but let's talk about, before we say goodbye, uh, purchasing vehicles, uh, rental cars on holidays. Um, certainly, we were hearing that uh, during the pandemic, it was tough to find a used car. Has that situation slowly changed over 2022? Uh, not much. Uh, I heard that if you are driving a used car and you want to sell it, this is probably a good time to sell because it could fall again. Mm -hmm. But new cars are really backed up. There's a shortage of computer chips and materials that are needed. And people are complaining if they uh, buy a a new car, they have to wait at least three months, sometimes six months. And electric vehicles could be a year or more to get. So uh, used cars are in demand. And those used cars are uh, new cars uh, are eventually sold to car rental companies. But if you're going on a trip, it's really a bad idea to wait until you know a week before you leave to uh, put in a reservation for a rental car. Uh, you should be doing it you know several months ahead just to make sure you're going to get one. So it's still uh, it's still a very very tight market. Ellen, thank you for this. Okay, thanks, Jane. Have a great 2023. You too. I'll talk to you next year at some point. Okay, (laughs) Maybe sooner than later. Bye-bye. Consumer advocate and journalist Ellen Roseman. Coming up in the final segment of Fight Back, we find out who's made the naughty list and who's made the nice list, as decided by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. That's next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is taking the week off. She is back on Monday. As we come to the end of 2022, it's time for our annual look at the naughty and nice as compiled by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. The naughty list includes those who were not respectful of taxpayers' money, and the nice list includes those who were more responsible. Joining us to talk about the naughty and the nice, Franco Terrazano, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hey, Franco. Hey, thanks for having me on today. Oh, it's always a pleasure. For how many years have you been compiling this list? <laughs> well, we've been doing it for a long time. Uh, <laughs> me, myself, every year I've been at the CTF, we've been doing something like this. Um, but let me tell you who's on the naughty list to start 
this year. Okay, can you just uh, can you just tell us first how you determine uh, the criteria? Well, you know, normally we look at two different things for the naughty list, okay? We look at what are some of the most egregious examples of government waste, and we have a little back and forth with uh, the rest of our CTF staff. So that's number one. Number two, we also just look at tax increases. Um, were there any major tax increases that happened over the year that are really going to impact Canadian families? And I guess there is a third criteria as well. And one is, was there a lack of transparency? Uh, was there good transparency from a government? Were some government employees, did they go above and beyond in holding the government accountable? So you'll see all three of those aspects, whether it's wasting money, whether it's tax hikes, whether it's accountability, a part of the list. All right. And we'll start with naughty and we'll end on a positive note. <laughs> Perfect. Well, okay. at the top of the naughty list this year was the ghost of Christmas waste. Um, somebody in the federal government billed taxpayers $6,000 per night on a single hotel room during the Queen's funeral. Now, the Governor General says it wasn't her. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau won't say who it was. So it must have been the ghost of Christmas waste that uh, visited taxpayers this year and spent that $6,000 per night on now, the single hotel room. For you and me, that is a lot of money. But shouldn't the head of uh, a country f- who is attending the Queen's funeral, shouldn't they stay in a very nice hotel? I mean, you wouldn't hey. want you wouldn't want Justin Trudeau to be in a Motel 6 or something like that. Yeah, we're not recommending the Hampton by the airport <laughs> or anything like that. But you know if you can save considerable amount of money by staying at the Four Seasons or the Shangri-La, that you're certainly spending a ton of money on a single hotel room. Okay, point taken. Uh, Carry on with your list. Governor General Mary Simon. Now, you know, Christmas, New Year's Eve, it's a time for us to celebrate, enjoy the festivities with her friends and family, maybe eat a little bit too much, I certainly have. Uh, But the Governor General and her entourage got an early start on the festivities this year when they spent nearly six figures on fancy airplane food during a week-long trip to the Middle East back in March. So we got the receipts. They were enjoying beef wellington, beef carpaccio, stuffed pork tenderloin. Again, nearly $100,000 spent on airplane food alone. So for that, the Governor General finds herself on the taxpayer naughty list this year. And how many people were involved in that $100,000 trip? The Governor General and 29 entourage, right? So we're talking about 30 people, nearly $100,000. And I guess just another question is why were taxpayers sending uh, 30 people to uh, Dubai 2020, essentially the expo right. in the Middle East? Because I, I do get the, the $3,000 per person, but do you make a good point about why 30 people are necessary on a trip like that? Well, totally. And, and, and next up is uh, we put the Bank of Canada governor uh, Tiff Macklem on the naughty list this year. And let me tell you why, right? You know, tis the season for giving, and the Bank of Canada sure loves giving itself bonuses and pay raises. Now, during the pandemic, uh, while inflation exceeded the Bank of Canada's mandate of about 2%, the Bank of Canada still handed out $45 million in bonuses and pay raises during that time. Mm-hmm. Not a single employee took a pay cut. And, you know, Santa's over there in the North Pole scratching his head, just wondering what on earth do you have to do at the Bank of Canada to not get a bonus? Well, let me ask you this then, uh, Franco, and we're speaking with Franco Terrazano from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, The AG Auditor General recently, uh, the Federal Auditor General, was recently critical of the fact that some of the big corporations that ended up laying off people across the country received wage subsidies that they haven't paid back. What about uh, those people making the naughty list? Well, certainly. I mean, uh, they're certainly on Santa's bad books, I'd say. I mean, one of the tough parts about working at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is that it's sometimes hard to narrow it down to just five or six individuals on the naughty list. But certainly, and let me go even further than that. Um, you know, the corporations that were taking the wage subsidy, but then also turned around and fattened their C-suite, right, giving executives higher compensation, they should also be on the naughty list. Right. Uh, they should also be on the naughty list. Look, I don't care what you do with your own money. If you want to give your executives bonuses or pay raises or whatever, fill your boots. 
but not while you're taking taxpayer subsidies, especially during the middle of a pandemic. Here, right? here. And, yes. and, and let me go even one step further. Okay. The political parties that took the wage subsidy, because there was $3.7 million of political parties taking the wage subsidy, they should also be on the naughty list. In fact, we put them on the naughty list last year. Okay. We have a couple of minutes left uh, to focus on who has been nice to the taxpayers this year. Well, let's give a shout out to Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston. What he did was truly a non-Scrooge act of generosity. So his MLAs in the province of Nova Scotia were scheduled to get a pay raise. What he did is he recalled the legislature to stop the MLA pay raise, and then he cut his own pay by more than $11,000. So kudos to, to Mr. Houston out there in Nova Scotia. Right, living by example, right? Exactly. You know what? And I also need to give a little shout out to the parliamentary budget officer. Um, it's the government's own nonpartisan independent budget watchdog. They deserve tons of kudos uh, for 2022. They've been working their butts off uh, providing budget analysis, tax analysis. Um, they're even the group that showed um, Canadians that, in fact, the carbon tax will cost the average family more than what they're getting back in rebates. So kudos to the parliamentary budget officer there in Ottawa. And why is Ontario Premier Doug Ford on your list? I do have an advanced copy here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he is on the list because not only did he cut gas taxes back in the summer, but he's also extending it uh, for a full year. So kudos to Ford on that measure. We also have a couple other premiers who've been cutting taxes as well. you got Premier Smith in Alberta. She cut gas taxes. She ended an income tax hike. And then in New Brunswick... Uh, Premier Higgs out there is also on the nice list for a huge income tax relief, um, up to thirteen hundred bucks for ta- per, uh, uh, for a taxpayer there, and then also anyone in New Brunswick earning under nineteen thousand dollars isn't paying provincial income taxes. So a few different premiers on the nice list for cutting taxes. Franco, I've got about a half a minute left here. Uh, what are you looking toward in twenty twenty three? Well. A few things, right? Let's see more government accountability. Let's see more transparency. Um, you know, we make the joke about the ghost of Christmas waste. Um, they spent six thousand. Someone spent six thousand dollars per night on a single hotel room. Even setting aside the cost, us taxpayers deserve the transparency to know who it was who stayed in that room. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, Franco, wishing you a happy new year. Thanks for your time. Happy New Year, and thank you for having me on today. Franco Terrazano is Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. It's Jane for Libby. She is back on Monday, which means I get to hang out with you for one more day. And tomorrow is Free for All Friday. So make sure you grab a phone line during the noon news tomorrow. I want to hear what's on your mind. What in the news has you talking? The number one's at one next after Bob Comsick and the news. Fight Back with Libby Snymer is produced by Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Jordan Chakravarti, Dan Christakos, and Owen Wolf. Check out the Fight Back podcast anytime at zoomerradio.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Zoomer Radio Toronto, CFZM FM, and CFZM AM. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.